Welcome to SideQuests, your high-octane distraction from those other podcasts. We're a pen and paper RPG audio show featuring chatter about rules and how to master them, epic world building, player investment, and interviews with the people who make the games you love. Listen in as we trade tabletop war stories, make judgment calls on odd situations, and do everything we can to give you more RPG resources than you can dream of, all from a simple side quest. Guys, for the Paladins of Podcast, I'm Rob. I am Craig, and I can't stop thinking about objects of negative mass. Hi, I'm Eli, and I like math. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, Eli, you're new to our show, um, and you're going to be with us for a while. We've talked about that a little bit. And I'm hoping that you can give our audience a little bit of a history about you. It's something Craig got to do on his first episode. I'd a like you to have the same too, opportunity. So. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I've been playing RPGs for a while now, about 15 years. Um, I started on D&D 3.5 and have mm. worked my way into wilder and wackier territories. My, my main campaign right now is Hackmaster. And I'm also playing in a Traveler game, which I that think just, That just started, didn't it? You said you just started Traveler recently? Yeah, we are three sessions in, in including the session zero, uh, which for Traveler is super important. And that's the uh, the really big, expansive space-based game, isn't it? Yeah, this the, the one that we're running is the Mongoose... I think it's the 2022 republishing. Uh, it's, okay. It's it had like a branch in development, and it's there's like just a like number five. There's like five variant editions from like different systems too, aren't there? Yeah, they've they've done a nice job of each edition covers largely a different time frame. So mm -hmm. while okay. you have these five different editions, you also have a, a lot of different kind of lore and areas that you can play in. Nice. I, I really love it. Yeah, I've heard good also, things I about get to the play system. It, so. <laughs> That's the best, That's man. When you can get somebody else to run the thing that you particularly love. <laughs> yeah, especially we're all like forever DMs, essentially, aren't we? Like, More or less. Sadly. That's that's how it is, man. I mean, so congrats on being able to play. Um, now, you both of you guys had had a, uh, a session this last week, haven't you? Uh, as yes. either a player or a DM? I ran, um, so uh, since since last we spoke, uh, I got to run a session of Dungeon Crawl Classics where we have just begun uh, the Emerald Enchanter. The party is just barely into that one. Um, they made a good show of it, and I think that they are actually starting to come up against a significant resistance for the first time uh, since they really started playing. So they're really uh, getting their boots wet. Uh, with actually their own blood in this case. Um, but it's an interesting challenge nice. seeing them. They've hit third level, uh, and they are really stepping up to the plate with that. So that's interesting. That's been exciting. What's what's making it difficult at this level, or what's, what's finally challenging them? Uh, they had mostly been dealing with um, encounters that they could engage with on their own terms up to this point. But prior to this, I ran uh, Doom of the Savage Kings, which is basically a Beowulf story. Um, it's got a lot of other stuff going on in it, but many of the, um, many of the challenges in that one are scenes where the players can choose how they approach the danger or the, uh, the level of engagement. There is, um, a sort of semi-hostile Jarl leading 
a, uh, a remote town. Um, he's got a sorceress advisor. And the big deal is that every couple of nights, this terrible monster shows up. But they have plenty of time to prepare. They can decide, well, who are we going to talk to? How are we going to curry favor with allies in the town? And they have a lot of wiggle room with that. Emerald Enchanter opens up, and it is a dungeon crawl. Um, right at the bat, to get in the front door, you have to deal with what was for them a fairly serious combat encounter, um, which nearly took out one of the party members in about a single round. Um, oh. And uh, to her credit, this player loved it. She was so stoked. Um, I was like, oh no, the players, you know, they're, they're going to get cut to pieces. This is a big deal. Um, I had this whole. Um, image setup it's these two emerald guardians um and i used mid journey i had this awesome picture and i was like oh no it's gonna be a real mood killer if this player she's she's never really had a character die before she was like yeah bring it on so i was very excited <laughs> for that it, it just gets crazier further in um so yardak if you're listening good luck yeah <laughs> yeah good luck I, I love that do you find that uh sometimes when you push your players in a, a situation or scenario that gets them close to death where they they survive by the skin of their teeth they generally have a better time what do you think eli oh yeah i am a big proponent of pushing my players to the to uh, uh to the bridge uh when i was in when i was in college and running a lot of games I, that was a, a very death-filled time and we'd have a wall of death <laughs> of all the of all the dead characters, and you'd write your name and what happened, the date, how you died, and then you'd throw it up on the board. Uh, I keep so, a Discord nice. dedicated text channel for that now. That's great. Cool. On on That's our cool. roll tourney game, we do have a, a wall of death, virtually, <laughs> but there's only been a, a few characters there, and one of them has retired. Uh, I've ran a lot of very deadly one shots when I was in college. <laughs> I think one shots the perfect opportunity to be deadly in. Um, I had a long form campaign a few years ago and I had a, a very simple um, scenario where they were just trying to get across a, a rope bridge, but it was very uh, worn, very ragged. So there was a few reflex saves and one of my players ended up failing a reflex save and falling to her death. And it was the first time one of her characters had died. She was very upset, very distraught. Um, so I'm like, you know what? You love your character. She's 20 minutes into the session. Just change the name, swap them out. You're good. And uh, that character also died as they tried to go back over the rope bridge. <laughs> Wait, the same people. bridge? Yes. yes. I want to know why they tried to walk across the same bridge twice like that. Uh, so they had to go across the bridge the first time to get to a location. And then they had to walk across the, lo uh, the bridge to get back from the location. Uh, imagine large rock columns 200 feet in the air strung together by bridges is like a sure. maze. Um, so there was only essentially once they got to the, there was only one way in one way out and, uh, yeah, she died, uh, twice with two different characters on the same character sheet because of that bridge. And, uh, <laughs> she actually died two additional times in that game because of bad, bad will, not will, uh, reflex saves and, uh, heights. So she had to scale a mountain and she failed that one save close to the top. Uh, and no matter what I did, every time I lowered the DC, she would just bomb it. So sometimes, uh, sometimes the dice are hungry. Yeah, I've yeah, it's I've a never had joke. a bad character death. So like you were describing your your player taking it really well and kind of going with it. I don't think I've ever had a character who's taken or a player who's taken a character death and it it's ended badly. Like I've always had the the player either like they 
they persevere or it inspires some of the other characters in the party or if any like if anything it makes them more excited to bring their next character in and try and survive i found that um i i'm not i'm not a lethal dm i i threaten a lot and I, I absolutely mm-hmm. carry through if it's well earned, but I try to signpost it as often as possible. One of the things that I've I've found um, works best for this kind of stuff is a lesson that I've taken from uh, Dark Souls, actually, the video game. Um, people talk a lot about how incredibly hard it is and how you die all the time, but um, in its best moments, um, Souls, Dark Souls in particular, and and the games that have followed since then from from, from Soft. Um, They'll signpost a lot of the really serious dangers, and often, if you're paying attention, almost always, you can tell why you died, what killed you. You're very rarely like, oh, it's not obvious how I could have avoided it. It could be like, holy crap, this monster's overwhelming and I don't know how to deal with them yet, but it's never like, oh, I don't know how I could have even possibly avoided that. Um, I rarely ask my players to make search checks for traps these days, because for this very reason, it's usually obvious what it'll do to you if you get caught in it, but I find that the much more enjoyable part of encountering something like that is what they do about it. How do they get across it? How do they jam it? How do they break it? How do they, you know, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. As a result, some of my players have become incredibly cautious about anything that I start describing in great detail, which is its own problem, but I'd rather have that one than people being kind of pissy about dying with no recourse. That's fair. That's fair. Now that makes me wonder, have either guys um, seen essentially uh, just not even necessarily a death, but an event where it devastated the player? Oh. Hmm. Because I've, I've got one that instantly came to mind that did not result in death. And the player was absolutely he shook. He didn't know what to do. Yeah, what um, happened? Tell us. Uh, I was running a game and... Uh, I had set up clues, clue after clue after clue after clue uh, for these guys to follow. And the character in question was a cleric, and he was very devout in his worship. Very, that was all backstory. That is how he acted. That's how he performed. Not a big deal. How long deal. had this player been playing this character, by the way? Uh, I'll say about six six sessions so we're gonna push close to 40 hours okay Um, all right fair enough yeah about 40 hours so i gave them initial clues they met up with a a band of uh traveling um merchants gypsies of sorts uh that just happened to be accompanied by a succubus and his player will as willingly took the kiss from a succubus for a boon um willingly consorted with vampires <laughs> to uh, deliver bad messages and he didn't think anything was wrong with this he was just not having a problem like buddy slow your roll i mean these are bad guys and you're like let's do this finally it came down to he had to end up uh, to get into a secret tomb they had to make a verbally say out loud a prayer to a a different deity and which he did with no problem and at that moment after 40 hours of just caution to the wind for his character willingly making choices that defied his god uh, i severed his connection ah how'd that play out what happened 
I it broke him. He didn't know what to do. He was stunned for the rest of the game. Didn't know how to proceed forward with his character. Didn't know what his character would do. Didn't have any conceptualization of the plausibility or possibility of even having them just lose their connection. So after that session ended, we ended up trying to figure out a way to kind of, I don't want to say fix his character, but find a way to atone sure. and get back on the right side of things. And he just wasn't sure if it was going to work. And then I presented the idea. We were playing Pathfinder first edition. I presented the idea of um, in his loss of deityism, uh, not de uh, but loss of uh, a god, that the a god of madness would kind of step in and fill that role. Oh. And he would essentially go mad. And um, that would be his new thing. And we built out the character, but he still couldn't bring his heart to play the play the new changes oh it totally took the wind out so, of his sails wow it did absolutely was he, everything was he salty about it was he like no this isn't no. fair i don't oh he was he was just shocked really no. yeah yeah it was the first time i mean he's been oh. playing for i want to say close to 20 years and he's never once lost his connection to his god for anything his characters have ever done so uh i mean like when it's in the rules that this take this character and when you say my character is like the devout follower uh you kind of expect them to act accordingly and uh, he chose not to it's also interesting when you give a player sort of that that first moment for something uh you know the ca first character death is always something where like oh what that could actually happen um mm -hmm. so that's really cool that you got to deliver that new moment for somebody who's been playing for 20 years like the the novel experiences are thin on the ground so that's yeah that's worth that's worth embracing there that's pretty cool Thank you. I'm surprised they didn't want to continue with it. That sounds like an exciting, like like the natural kind of sort it's of plot arc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the conclusion yeah. to doing things that are breaking your your deity's code or or ethical line. Right. I thought it was. I thought it was crazy. It just comes down to like he'll still talk about it, and he's still he's still stunned. I think he's over the initial shock, but he still doesn't know how to handle it. And I mean, the game has been over since twenty. 2019 so wow. for quite a while yeah it again i mean the first time it happened to him he hasn't happened to him since so it, it sticks with him and he just he didn't know still doesn't know how he would want to proceed with that character like the player knows but he's so in tune with the character that he's like i don't know if my character would understand or know what to do like it would break him at this point oh, now that's that's an interesting split there the difference between the that's not something I've really come across often. The player says, yeah, I want to keep playing the character. I know what I want to do. But then thinking that that's not what the character would want and finding a hard disconnect. I've certainly heard the opposite. Mm -hmm. But that's actually an interesting... I mean, I find that an interesting sort of disconnect between player volition and character volition. Um have you ever come across something like that where like, well, I as a player want to do this, but my character, well, actually I've heard horror stories about that's not yeah. what that character would do, but this seems like the opposite of that. Sort of. I, I've, I've done it as a player. Like, um, for example, I've had, uh, I told you guys about my Thull, who is a half orc barbarian. Um, one of his famous stories is that we had to rent Griffins to fly a great distance and he ate one mid flight. I'm like, this wait, 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 wait. If he falls, how did you, you, you eat an entire griffin in midair? 
truthfully, I started with the wings. <laughs> I, so that sent us on a it's crash like a Groucho course. Marx response. All right, fine. So you eat the griffin. The, the griffin you're writing? Or yes. just like grab another on. one? No, the one I'm on. And I was like, you know what? I know for an absolute fact that this is a dumb thing, but my character would 100% do this. He would absolutely, you know, just mindlessly chow down on whatever, th anything he was flying, riding, it, it would have mattered. Um, like that was kind of his, his dumb thing to do is just eat all the time. And, and what happened to Thull? Um, the sorcerer wizard who was with the party ended up casting Featherfall to save him. But when he got generous. to the ground, he <laughs> did finish eating the griffin. <laughs> um, oh, boy. Just gonna, he's just going to eat every other monster that he ever rides on. Uh, yeah, it, it was bad. And so I've had, I know that we talked about the horror stories where like, this is what my character would do. And that's kind of what I'm, I'm lamenting here. But on the flip side, when you have that same mentality, you can reverse it. You can be like, you know, I, I would want to do this, but my character would be a hard no. Um, I don't oh. find it difficult. Do, do you still play with this player that had this happen to their cleric? Uh, not as often as I used to, only because I've moved so far away from them now. Uh, I think uh, we got about 40 miles between us and our schedules don't match up super well. Just far enough to make it a pain in the butt. The highest yes. GR mo CR monster of them all, scheduling. Oh, uh, God. Oh, my God. The reason oh, why sure. I ask is I'm wondering if you've seen a change in player behavior. Like, if they still play clerics, do they now tow the the line of their align of their like their god's alignment more? Or... Oh, I can definitely... Yeah, I can answer that because um, I have only moved recently, but yeah, they do. They play a lot more, uh, I'd say, strict in their behaviorisms, uh, way more intentional, and they have a deep-seated fear of just about any traveling woman they meet now. <laughs> okay, well, maybe an over-adjustment, but... <laughs> that one, sure. But yeah, they still play clerics, and they play them way more, um, I guess, by the book. Orthodox, perhaps. Yes, yes. That's that's pretty cool. Um, and uh, that the worship of the gods of the setting is defined enough that that's something for you to sort of glom onto. Uh, whereas often mm -hmm. it's, um, you see sort of like, oh, you're you're playing a cleric. Well, it's sort of vaguely Catholic. Don't don't worry about it too much. Um, right. But, right. Uh, and that's that's just kind of how it rolls. I mean, I thought it was interesting. I mean, how many warnings do you give somebody before you just have to? do something dramatic to paint the picture. Well, at least one. The only time I think I ever really seriously gave more than... Okay, so I generally try not to throw out, um, you know, are you sure? Because it's such mm -hmm. a giveaway. You know, when when you shine the that much of a spotlight on what they're doing, any player paying attention is going to be like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, hold on. Um, but I was recently running... A mega dungeon campaign um relatively recently it was certainly over the pandemic um i was running Stonehell, um and as part of my own twist on it uh, there were hobgoblins there that they, they were already there but my twist was that um they were using some outer parts of the dungeon to store uh basically uh chemical weapons um something that they had planned on deploying against a really well fortified uh castle or fort nearby and what they were were they were called the heart-seeking smokes. 
They were a powder that if you set it on fire, it would produce a lot of arsenic-laced smoke. You wafted that when the weather was right over the, the, the thing you were besieging. Everybody choked and died, and it was horrible, and it was a chemical <laughs> weapon. Um, but they're real, by the way. That's a thing. That actually is a real thing. So, you know. That's, um, wow. Well, you know, it's, it's a purpose-built tool. The point is yep. not violating the Geneva Convention. The point is that the players found the stockpile of hobgoblin WMDs. And, and they had among them a poisoner. Someone who was an alchemist and a poisoner, a seasoned master of their craft. It was undeniable that this player knew all about this. Um, the group was trying to figure out what do we do with this incredibly dangerous substance? And I described it to them, and they figured out, okay, it's definitely the heart-seeking smokes, and I was like, here is verbatim what they do. Here is how to set them off. Here is why you know they're so dangerous. Here is the, And they're like, okay, we could bury them. Uh, we could collapse the cavern we found them in and leave them for somebody else to deal with. Um, we set them on fire. That'll get rid of them. <laughs> and that was, I think, the only time I can remember just dead ass stopping the session and staring into the camera real close we were on we were on discord are you sure thank god help them they said yes and that's how that mega dungeon campaign ended <laughs> to their credit they did permanently change the campaign setting map there's kind of a weather weather uh weather directed cone heading away from that mega dungeon on the map now of where things don't grow anymore um <laughs> I'm sure we'll go back there someday. But it took something like that for me to be like, are you sure? Right. Um, anything less than that? Godspeed, guys. You want to, you want to, we're, tr we're trying to stick with PG-13 here, so I'm not going to use our only F-bomb, but you want to F around, you're going to find out. Right. I try to throw yeah. around those, like, are you sure's often and frequently with <laughs> no regard to the situation's level of danger. So. Yeah, we'll get rooms for the night. Are you sure? Oh, God. <laughs> I I throw them around uh, anytime they're going to get into a conflict where I know the outcome if uh, if they continue to go on doing what they're going to do. Um, and I don't necessarily... I, I don't fudge rolls. I don't... Uh, I roll out mm. in the open. I make sure they see everything. Roll in the open. So, never fudge rolls. Absolutely. Right. Amen. Uh, and I don't hold back. So I will use whatever opponent's entire repertoire that they have available to them. So when they get into a confrontation because they want to be jackasses and they want to pressure some NPC, um, like, for example, I had one player, one of my best friends, his name is Nick. Uh, Nick was pretty much, I'm going to hold my sword to your throat and demand this information, whether you know it or not, or kill you kind of person. Uh, to everybody he met. <laughs> Oh, so, well, perfect. We've got, all had one of those. He, it worked oh, once. God, Why yes. stop now? Right. So he, he got the, are you sure? A lot. And he got his ass handed to him a lot. But, but he had a good time, thank God. But yet, I mean, yeah, I throw it around, are you sure? Anytime I don't want them to screw around. I definitely, I definitely got a couple of players who, when I when I hit them with that, or if I start leaning in that direction, I'm like, mm, okay, yeah, right, let's let's see what happens with that. They're like, yeah, do it, do it. I dare you. What do you got? <laughs> I definitely yeah, have one funny. of those players who, <laughs> if you throw anything like that, they're just that just means they they feel like they're going in the right direction. They're like. It's, head on. It's really nice to have a mix because if you got a whole group like that, no one's in control. It's just pure chaos. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. all the way to the end. But it's actually, I find that it's nice to have players who are very much interested in pulling the lever, pissing on the statue, like all of this stuff to help balance out people who are like, well, let's sit back and think about it. Because there's a place for both. But yeah. it's definitely, you, you get into trouble if you have too much of, of one end of the spectrum or the other. It's great moments when there's like one side of the party outside, you know, it's mostly outside a character where they're like, no, you really don't do, you should stick with us. And the other person's just like, I'm jumping in. And you just get the, the physical reactions of like, no, ah, oh, oh, God, oh, this, oh, this is how we all die. This is how we all die. So I got, a, I got a story about a time I was a player like that. If you uh, don't mind hearing it. it, this is ridiculous. All right. So it was a one shot game. Um, one of my, uh, acquaintances was running this game and it was a pre-written campaign he hadn't played it before it was relatively new i don't remember what it was called Damn, but i was, I was playing <laughs> i wish I, w- I could probably reach out to him and I, i'm sure he would remember um but there were we were in a dungeon it wasn't a mega dungeon it was just a small dungeon and i remember the first scenario we came up to it was like goblins doing horrible operations on two people on a uh, on tables in this room and in the description, in the setting, it specifically says, if you do not interfere, they will not attack you or anything. They will just continuously, mindlessly operate on these still living humans. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, the party decided to kill the goblins. Not a big deal. We had a healer, dedicated healer, like full everything was healer. And my barbarian self at the time said, uh, ah, these guys can't be saved. So I put them out of their suffering instead of letting the healer heal them. So throughout the entire dungeon, it was, they can't be saved. I would just kill whatever was in my way. I think I see where this is going. (laughs) Ran into a door that was trapped and killed me. And my healer yelled, he can't be saved (laughs) and left me there to die. Oh no. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Ah, fitting end. It was horrible, but it was a fitting end. So, man. Yeah, I got, I got a lot of crazy. I mean, I know we all got crazy stories. I just. Well, I could... I've got some I've got some material here to, to, to bake your noodle. And I think I, it's, it's come yeah. to mind because. um. So I continue to make my way through. Uh, I, I, so this actually bothered me last time. I mispronounced it. I called it the Lovecraftian, the Cthulhu mythos. It's mythos. You were right. I was wrong. I will. I am happy to admit that. You didn't even accuse me about anything like that. It's just it was bothering me as soon as I heard. <laughs> anyway, it's it's okay. mythos. It's yeah. That's what I said. Uh, I was let wrong. him have it. Let I, him I, have I, it last I, time. It, it. I picture like Redwall Abbey. Like it's a it's a mythos of mice and, but. Yeah, you know, next time say it with an accent, people won't even know. There you go. Oh, good. when in doubt, just where are you from? North. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, there you go, man. I am reading through I'm I'm trying to make my way through Call of Cthulhu and I'm reading a lot of I'm reading Delta Green right now. Um the uh which is the, it? the, the, the newer version. What's is up? is that the edition that is fully based on Call of Cthulhu, or is that the one that's D six based? This so, one is probably what you said the first. So this is the Arc Dream publishing one. Um, okay. This is the newer version. I know they've had a couple of different editions, but I'm going through there and I'm reading um, about all the different, uh, you know, otherworldly entities and conspiracies and all that. And I want to talk to you about something that is not in the book yet, but absolutely belongs there, which is objects of negative mass. 
So check this out. Um, if you imagine that you've got two objects, they have they are normal objects. Consider them that perhaps they're very large to make this a little easier, but objects are attracted to each other. They have gravitational pull towards each other. Um, so, you know, put your two fists up in front of you. They're both objects. Think of them like planetoids, and they will move toward each other because each one pulls on the other one, right? Mm-hmm. There is nothing that makes the math describing this physical interaction fail to work if instead of if one of those objects, instead of having a positive value for its mass, has a negative value. All the math still works out. It doesn't it's not impossible to represent. But when you start thinking about what that will actually do, you run into some very, very strange interactions. Two objects of positive mass will pull toward each other. If you imagine that two objects of negative mass are next to each other, well, if positive ones pull toward each other, then negative ones will repel from each other using what would be the inverse gravitational force. At least it's it's still intuitive so far, right? Right. And for those yep. who don't quite understand, we're thinking about magnets at this point. Uh, we're talking about it, gravity, but that's probably a decent way to think about it. Right. So if you've got an object of positive mass, a big old moon... And then you've got another moon right near it that has negative mass. They won't go toward each other. They won't go away from each other. The object of positive mass will move toward the object of negative mass. But the negative mass object will zip off directly away from the object of positive mass forever. And never stop accelerating if they're in microgravity until you hit relativistic limits. Awesome. So, so on a start messing with that in your game. Start putting objects that behave like this in your game. Put them in a wizard lab. Put them in another dimension, another planar rift. The rules for, well, okay, the lowercase r rules for how these objects behave are discoverable. And it's a toy that the players can start messing with. Put it in a puzzle. Put it in as you know, a strange metal, something like that. But it's simple enough to explain and to experiment with and figure out. Um, my existing players have already suffered through me doing this to them, I think. Um, suffered through. They, they're, they're very long-suffering. I, I appreciate them. Um, it gets even weirder if you start making them gases, but we'll, we'll leave that alone for now. So how, how are, you in, like, are you introducing these items <clears throat> with any sort of magical tilt to them, or are you adding them as law, like fundamental laws of your game's universe? Well... You could do all sorts of fun stuff with that. Let's say that maybe it's a temporary thing. Maybe I mean, it's super easy to say a wizard did it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's easy for fantasy. Um, but it seems like just the kind of stuff that would fit in great in a Call of Cthulhu game or a Delta Green thing, you know, a top secret, you know, um, unnatural occurrence that, you know, you need to hide or you need to figure out, well, what do we do with this sort of thing? But the reason why it sticks in my head, it's, it's sort of pushing my designer button here, is because... It's easily observable. You can have the idea of what will this thing do, even though it's it's all but impossible in the real world. It's considered exotic matter. It doesn't exist that we've ever been able to discover in the real world, but it can be described. It's a strange object that doesn't exist, but has observable rules, and the players can discover them by messing with it. And you don't have to have 20 pages of descriptions of exactly what happens in XYZ situation. If you have an intuitive understanding of it, you could adjudicate on the fly. And those are the most useful things to put into the game, in my opinion. 
I would agree. Yeah, especially if you start, or like, even if you're making it up as magic or some other phenomena, it still has rules, and things with rules are, are the best for adding to games. They follow yeah. patterns. One thing I like about this in particular is that it's it's based in science, and a lot of times, because I, I get stuck playing a lot of fantasy games, Tolkien fantasy, Arthurian legend-style fantasy. Um, <clears throat> so it's it's magic, wave of the hand, it's good. But having something I can base in science like this allows for another realm of possibility. I mean, they don't consider science in most of these cases, and I like that. Does it ruin any of the like chaos of magic? I see what you mean. Like having having magic be sort of unpredictable or perhaps unknowable. Um I think, I mean, I, I don't think it has to be all or nothing. I think that you could have some things that are observable. I mean, maybe how it's produced is unknowable. Maybe it's not something that they can have free access to as readily as they could have you know, access to water or gravity, for that matter. But I don't, I mean, it's not like they're going to walk into this sort of thing every day. I think you can have unusual things that behave predictably but are from unknowable sources without sort of turning magic into just another kind of science. That's true. That's true. Anyway, I've been spending far, far too much time thinking about the implications of negative mass objects lately, and now you can share that brain worm too. How much of a physics you know, background do you need to understand negative mass and everything oh, that falls along? I have a degree in English literature. You're safe. <laughs> Maybe I want a bunch of math. Maybe you want a bunch of math. Uh, my games use too many dice. I don't need more math. <laughs> I oh, man. could always use more math. Yeah? I, lo yeah, I, I mean, love it. I don't want to do quadratics at or you know, polynomial division at the table, but, you know. Maybe if it, you know, with a fifteen minute break. <laughs> but oh, I had to do uh, a lot of that say, for my tool suggestion, real quick. Yeah, uh, if you ever find yourself wondering, well, gosh, how much water can fill that room and how quickly? Wolfram Alpha is a great thing to Google very quickly. Mm -hmm. Use that. If it doesn't take too long to figure out how to use, but if you very quickly need, well, you know, what is the volume of a sphere of this size? You know, how how about a, you know, what is the weight? of a bronze statue that's about a cylinder 14 feet high and six feet wide. Like, if you need to actually get a number for that, Wolfram Alpha is a great tool for solving that kind of problem very quickly. Um, often you could just be like, it's really heavy, you can't lift it, and that's the end of it. But then the players are like, well, I'm as strong as 20 men for 10 minutes a day. Now what? Mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, fine, let's figure it out. Wolfram Alpha is amazing. Are there uh, Are there any other online resources that you guys use on the fly, either in-game or prior to sessions? Uh, my default search on my web browser is Wikipedia at this point, and I don't think I'll ever change that off. It, like, I, it, over, it overrules Google for me at this point. Um, right. How about you, Eli? I feel like I used a lot of, I think it was Don John. Yep. Don John, oh, the generator thing, D-O-N-J-O-N. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. D-O-N-G-A-N, G-A-N. Um, that one has a, a great number of uh, just random generators. So. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. I used a lot of uh, Seventh yeah, Sanctum. J-O-N. Yeah. Don John. Uh, I used a lot of Seventh Sanctum for names for a while because they That's had a, a, a very solid one epic. for names. Yes. Yeah. I love their epic fantasy name generator. <laughs> it would, it'd all be named like Cloud Strife. <laughs> a a time honored name of a of a legendary warrior, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's one of those things. I know uh, everybody's always looking for resources, whether they're trying to tap individual people or uh, find them online. Uh, I like I like the Wikipedia Wolf from Alpha. Um, I use Wikipedia sometimes, but <clears throat> in general, I try to I take a lot of notes beforehand, like mm-hmm. handwritten notes, and I just try to consult my notes. I make a lot of, yeah, I make a lot of my own, like, Mm -hmm. because I I know how to code. So I make a lot of, like, I'll translate, oh, like, the NPC tables um, from a Game Master's Guide into just some some code. And then so if I need a random NPC that also fits the flavor of the game, then I can, you know, hit the button and it'll generate 10 for me. Uh, Or treasure, sometimes random encounters, the weather. Things like mm-hmm. this. Weather's a nice one. Um, I find that I need these generators. A, a lot of the sort of like uh, f- physics or, or math or science based lookups, I find that I need them a lot more often when I'm running science fiction. Um, I feel a lot freer to just make shit up when I'm running fantasy. Um, mm-hmm. The players seem to be more comfortable with that as well, um, which is which is interesting in terms of setting expectations. Like I've run I've run Stars Without Number. It's a setting that has psionics in it, so they know like oh yeah, psychic stuff exists. Thing, things unknown to us are out there, but they're still like, well, wait a minute, how much fuel is it going to take to get from the moon to the third planet? You know, and so on and so forth. Um, so part of it part of it does seem to be you know setting player expectations for what you're making up versus what some arbitrary but specific answer is. Mm-hmm. That that's a big reason why I love crunchier fantasy games and i like running a lot more narrative focused sci-fi games because then you don't have to worry about the the nitty gritty of oh my my item exerts exactly 300 newtons of of force <laughs> i you're just like all right i succeeded with maybe a consequence or i succeeded well and then you can kind of describe that in the, the way that every like everyone in the group is understanding the universe to work uh, while in fantasy you know all these details you know exactly how much an orc weighs and so when you, <laughs> you're like you're, you're like oh you have 300 newtons and this orc has this much equipment and the gravity on this planet is this and then you can apply it all and then i actually i learned a hard lesson from that actually the exact thing that you're describing um my level of interest in, in specific detail like that um, I mean, we care enough to try to run the game, to set up the plot and the setting and the NPCs and all that kind of stuff. But often that level of, of intense interest extends to things like uh, the, the more specific scientific side of stuff. Like, oh, you're setting this in a science fiction setting and you're on an, an asteroid that has a mining colony on it. How do they recycle their air and water? What is the gravity? How do they generate it? But the players didn't show up to do a scientific study of what's going on. Their interest is showing up and playing their characters, not necessarily, you know, embracing um, an elaborate physical understanding of the world. Um, So if you start doing that, it can be overwhelming for the players and, and they may disengage as a result because they're like, well, if I can't show up to, to match what the GM is doing, that's a sign that I'm, I'm, 
not speaking the same language. Um, I've made that mistake. Uh, so, so I definitely hear what you're saying where some of the more technically minded stuff can have a, a suspiciously high, not suspiciously, but a, a subtly high barrier to entry. Cyberpunk stuff, actually, you run into this a lot. Um, mm-hmm. God help you if you have somebody at the table where you're trying to do a hacking system and they're like, well, actually, I work in IT and let me tell you why most of this is bullshit. I'm like, okay, let's figure this out. Mm-hmm. I, I do think it's a basis a lot in familiarity. Like, you don't run, uh, you don't, or well, you don't often run a fantasy game where there's no gravity, or the gravity's heavier, or the gravity's lighter, or like, well, you don't often run into those changes where you go from all these different setting changes. So that's true. Rob, you were going to say something? <laughs> Cut you off again. <laughs> uh, it's that's all right. I was just, I was, just, I, I was agreeing. Really, I mean, the the settings that I've generally played in, we don't fluctuate too much. The question that count that constantly seems to pop up is how many gold coins can I fit in a portable hole? And you'd think <laughs> that I, I'd remember this by now, but I've had to figure it out more than ten times. Um, you and, know it, yeah. I, like I said, I don't remember. I have to figure it out oh. again. <laughs> the important part <laughs> is that between Wolfram Alpha and a Python packing algorithm, we can derive the answer. It's enough to know that it's possible. Yeah, abs- absolutely. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I don't like overloading my players with too much. Uh, Science shit. Craig, I think you're right. The fact is they come, they show up, they want to play a specific game, not necessarily get in depth with all those, uh, the nitty gritty things that are going on. Um, and it's just more than just uh, how they recycle their air. Sometimes they don't even want to hear all the descriptions that you've got planned out. They just want to kick in the door. That's the <laughs> bastard problem of it, though. It's it's an ego thing. I love this stuff. And I got to be like, hey, I am not the most important player here. I'm, I'm putting the effort in, but I am... I'm here to present a scenario that all the players can engage in where they are. And so you got to tamp it down, write some fan fiction, you know, make it, make it work, but perhaps not at that table at that time mm-hmm. to my everlasting heartbreak, but it's okay. It's, it's all right. There's other good stuff. <laughs> Always. Always. So, uh, truthfully looking at time guys, we're getting kind of close to about, uh, 45 minutes, which is an average episode. Is there anything that we want to try to, wrap up before we let everybody go uh well what are y'all looking forward to what do you got coming up gaming wise any uh any upcoming cool stuff that you can say without spoilers to your players or uh uh we got any kickstarters on the horizon anything that you're you're looking forward to eli you look excited like my my campaign is going through a they're they're doing more of a dungeon crawl it's a it's kind of an open we're, we're running it's a very open world game that i'm running my group through so for the longest time, for probably about two two years, they've had a more nebulous uh, kind of goals where they've been floating around. They they really follow, you know, whoever is is has has a motivating factor uh, to to like take them to another town or do a quest. And the quests have typically been like a couple sessions, but recently after last week, we've gone into just a, a larger dungeon so probably for the like foreseeable future they're going to be in this dungeon and it's going to be a nice change of pace uh, just a change up for the players and for myself as well it's, it's totally different to prep a dungeon than open world is it original material or is yeah. it some pre-written content the castle itself is based off of some pre-written material and then I've tore everything out and put new stuff inside of it. Nice. That 
seems like a fair bit of work. So good luck with that. Yeah, good luck. A lot of fun. I have, I got a question now. Um, working on that, when you're working dungeons and you're modifying it, Craig, I want to share this as well. Do you guys utilize traps or is it strictly just monsters? Totally depends on the dungeon. If okay. it's like in this case, it's a castle that they're working their way through. Uh, and there's not going to be a lot of traps because who's going to put a trap in their own hallway. But if they're going into a goblin cave, like a goblin, a dungeon ran by goblins, they're totally going to trap the living heck out of it. So okay. I, um, I love traps because they're uh, a really fun way to allow some players to engage um, with with a static hazard uh, that um, is very different from engaging with you know a live NPC or even just a sort of openly hostile monster. It's just a different kind of uh, a different method of playing the game. Um, I, I also sort of subscribe to this Gygaxian naturalism thing where, oh, it has to make sense. The monsters are here. They wouldn't put a, you know, if it's a heavily traveled hallway between the mess hall and the kitchen, nobody's going to put a pit trap between them that, you know, the, the, they have to hop over every time they cross this very heavily traveled area. Um, traps are, are super fun and um, I love them. I, I really do. I, I will say I do love puzzles as well. Okay. And so I, I do feel like puzzles and traps can kind of walk a very fine line between one and another. And oftentimes like trying to figure out a, a trap can be a puzzle in its own. Yeah. Very, very rarely yeah. the sort of like, Oh, you didn't look now you just take, you know, 3d six damage and move on. Like that's, that's sort of like a, like an HP tax for not doing a boring thing in character of poking every hole or every floor panel as you advance. But yeah, something that's probably better considered as a puzzle. Here's the thing. How do you deal with it? Not, you know, suffer for lack of submitting to boredom along the way. Right. Right now, I've talked about traps in one of my favorite dungeons a few times on uh, on the show. So if you guys haven't checked out the backlog of catalogs where I talk about some traps, I think I label it in the episode as traps. Uh, take a listen. I'm sure our audience members are bored, but there's some funny stories in there because I don't like my traps to necessarily be super deadly. I like them to be uh, inconvenient by all matters things. Um, more so funny, um, kind of like slapstick almost. <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's how I like to roll through it. Um, Greg, what are you looking forward to? coming up here in the next uh, week or so before our next episode. Oh, boy. Um, so on Thursday, I will be running um, what I hope will be sort of a climactic moment for that ongoing campaign. It's, it's one of two campaigns I'm running. I have put together a custom monster, which I uh, am very much looking forward to seeing how the players interact with. I am somewhat wary of spoiling it but i'll be very happy to talk about it afterward depending on how it goes um i'm game but it's it's one i wrote from scratch um and i'm really stoked to see it's it's meant to be an uh, sort of encounter all on its own and it's been a while since i've tried to put that together so I'm, I'm really eager to see whether my intuitions were correct when it finally hits the pavement for for better or worse we should just talk about monster creation next week and we can yeah you know, yeah if it goes badly well <laughs> Oh, I'm sure I'm going to learn something about every, everyone's <laughs> going to learn something about this one out of this one. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. I've I've created a few monsters. Very cool. What, so. what about you, Rob? You got yeah, anything yeah. Uh, anything good coming up this week? Um, so my next campaign starts in early October. Uh, I've mm -hmm. been developing the world a little bit, 
and I think I've decided I'm going to utilize um, alternate rules for NPCs that my players don't have access to. And I've gotten the approval from the players. So I'm actually really excited about some of those things. Like, uh, because again, we're still playing Pathfinder uh, first edition. I'll use things like words of power and spheres of magic that they don't have any access to. A so very, have to cast... very popular, uh, popular book. Good choice there. It's good stuff. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I think about adding story feats next, but I don't know if I want to keep track of all of that extra crap. <laughs> so at some point I got to stop adding to some of my responsibilities. Wait, did you say you were using the Dungeons and Dragons spells and magic book? No. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I, I just, I, I can't. keep that book on my shelf ready for magical things, but that's that's fair. I got I got this book I keep. Uh, again, it's system neutral. We haven't talked a lot about our system neutral stuff uh, yet. That's coming up in one of our future episodes. Uh, I got one about magic items as uh, like odds and curiosities. Um, I'll bring it up one of the next times so we have a conversation on the show because that's a good thing to talk about too. All right then. All right. Well, guys, thanks for checking out uh, side quests. I know it's been kind of a hectic ride to get here, but. We're all really excited, and we hope to see you next time. Check us out at epictablegames.com or on Facebook at Epic Table Games. May all your rules be crits.